episode 59 of Life 66 and our study in Revelation. This week we're looking at the Lamb, the angels, and judgment. In chapter 13, we saw the two beasts, the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. And that chapter concluded with uh, the famous passage of, If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. The number is 666. Everybody knows about 666. Everybody's worried and nervous about 666. If you see a license plate with 666, somebody wants to change their license plate. This number. What happens next, though? What's going to occur after that? This is the middle of the book. We still have uh, seven or eight chapters to go. And chapter 14 kind of lays out a table of contents for what's going to happen in the last portion of the book. We still have the most brutal and destructive judgments yet to come with the bowls of God's wrath. Then the mourning over um, the great city Babylon and what, what that means in chapter 17 and 18. And then we finally get to the conclusion of Jesus's return with his church and the judgment of Satan, the millennial reign, and then eternity. So we've got some exciting things coming up, but let's look at chapter 14. We're going to take this uh, section by section. The first section is verses 1 through 5, and it reads this way. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless." So let's take a look at these. The first thing we see is this lamb, which we already know is Jesus, and he's standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, uh, this is the only time in Revelation when Mount Zion is mentioned by name. Uh, In uh, history, it's the fortress of the pre-Israelite city of Jerusalem, captured and then made the city of David, 2 Samuel 5-7. So Mount Zion, the city of David, are, are synonymous and uh, became Mount Zion became a synonym also for the city of Jerusalem. It's also the name given to the heavenly Jerusalem. When we speak of uh, a future Mount Zion, the glory of Mount Zion, we're speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem. And when we get into chapter 21, we see this picture of a new Jerusalem. And that's the, the reference there, the new Jerusalem, new Mount Zion uh, in that chapter. In the Psalms, Mount Zion is referred to over 30 times, as well as many other places in the prophets. Um, so this is a, uh, you know, a famous place, both famous in the times of Israel's history, uh, but also in the times of our future. And um, it can't be literal, Zion, that, that this chapter is talking about, because Jesus has not yet returned. It says the Lamb is standing upon Mount Zion. So this is talking about uh, the future. Uh, Mount Zion. Now it says there's these 144,000 individuals, and they're sealed in the name of Jesus. Remember, we saw these individuals uh, back in chapter seven, and uh, they're they're secure. Um, we'll see that people 
might feel secure if they wear the seal of the mark of the beast, the 666 number, uh, which we learned about last episode. Um, But they're deceived because only the mark of Jesus, only the label of Jesus can truly make you secure. So there are these 144,000 witnesses we saw in chapter 7, the world um, that they're protected. They preach the gospel, but they're uh, not allowed to be harmed. Um, in the midst of all that, there's the sound of rushing waters and thunder. Uh, we often hear you know, voices of angels and sounds and so on, but the th- sounds of rushing water and thunder become more prevalent and even, even commonplace in the apocalyptic literature. Uh, is this the voice of the Lord? Likely not. Uh, it, sounds, it looks as if from context that it's the voice um, uh, of, of angelic voices, of uh, prophetic voices, of the living creatures mixed in uh, with them singing their heavenly songs, uh, professing um, the glory and the honor of the Lord. Um, it's a song of redemption, if you remember back. Or the, the, the songs they sang previously were songs of redemption uh, back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, um, that these creatures and the elders constantly sit around the throne and they cry out and sing uh, praises to our God. Now the 144,000 are singing from the vantage point of those who have endured through the great tribulation have been re- and who have been redeemed by Jesus' blood. Um, verse 4 and 5, uh, strange um, statement. It says, The 144,000 did not defile themselves with women. Now it doesn't mean to say that if you have a wife or you have um, intimate relationships with, with women if, or if you're a woman with men, that you become defiled. It's just that these have been chosen as, um, as unto the Lord, as if they were his pure bride, as if they were spiritual virgins, uh, as we see in, in um, the parable of the virgins in the Gospels. Um, so it ought not to be misunderstood that if you are uh, married and you have children, therefore you've had sex, that somehow you've defiled yourself. No, it's that these have been called apart to be celibate. They've called apart to be um, God's special, um, pure, uh, spiritually pure army for himself, and that they did not uh, go back on their commitment. They didn't go back on their, um, on their pledge. And uh, not only are they physical, but also spiritual virgins in the sense that they are pure before the Lord. It says that they follow the Lord wherever he goes. What a wonderful description of a Christian, that wherever Jesus goes, that's where we go. Wherever the Spirit goes, that's where we we go. That we're constantly led by the Spirit, um, following him, seeking after him, hungering after him, and doing anything that he wants us to do. They're selfless, they are committed, and uh, they are called and sealed so that they're covered by the Lord God's protection. It says they are offered as first fruits. First fruits is familiar to the Jew. Um, one of the seven great feasts that comes right at the Passover time is the Feast of First Fruits. And prophetically, Jesus is seeing as the first fruit from among the dead. Uh, we see that in Ezekiel. Um, excuse me, not in Ezekiel, but in Colossians. And uh, this, this thought of, of uh, a major portion of the Jewish people um, coming to the Lord and coming through the tribulation as these 144,000 are Jews, if you remember back to chapter 7. Um, Zechariah and Ezekiel talk about this remnant of, of Jewish people. Um, is it talking about the 145,000? It, it's very possible. Um, 
until the right times, uh, Scripture says. Is today the time for the incoming, the time for the first fruits to be gathered in? Only the Lord knows. Um, we continue on until the Lord's timing is sure. But we know that there will be a time when he's going to come back. He calls it the time of the Gentiles, when, um, when that number will be complete, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11. And then the time for um, the last things will occur. The prophecy of Joel and Acts speaks of the pouring out of God's Spirit on all people. And that time is coming very soon, uh, I believe. No one knows the hour, no one knows the day, so no, no uh, predictions are being made here. But when we look at the Scripture, we look at the, the affairs of our culture, it's not hard to, to fathom that the end is very, very near. It says there's no lie found in these 144,000. Um, they, they are honest and righteous before the Lord. And that they know who their God is. They know who their Savior is. And they know that they will not fall for any temptation. I pray that we would be in earnest seeking to be like, like these blessed ones. Um, when we get to heaven someday, they'll not be any greater than we are. Or they are, um, have been chosen for that time. But we can walk confident that the Lord covers us by his blood. And that when we see the King of Kings one day, that we'll stand righteous before him, not in our own actions and our own goodness, but in his alone. So chapter, uh, verse 6 through 13, it shifts from this picture of the lamb on Mount Zion with this thunderous uh, song sang by, or song sung by those around the throne and this 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth who are marked um, to another uh, angel that is seen flying Verse 6 through 13, let me read. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his glory or hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I think I'll stop right there after verse 7, because there's three angels that are going to appear, and they have a specific word. So let's just take them one at a time. This first angel, it says that he flies and he proclaims the gospel uh, among those who live on the earth. All those who are on the earth, the deceivers, the liars, the cheats, those who follow the, the beast of the sea and the beast of the air, that this earth goes about and proclaims the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, it means good news or message, and it's that Christ came died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says. And he says, there's also a different part of this news, that judgment is coming, that we ought to not think that you can reject God, deny Him, resist Him, and that there wouldn't be some kind of repercussions. That judgment is coming. For those that know Jesus, it's not judgment, it's good news that He's coming. For those that don't know him, it's horrible news that he's coming. Thank God that there's still time to turn. There's still time to repent. The word is fear God and give him glory because of his judgments and worship him because he's the creator. 
There's really no other need, no, no other reason. Not not for all the things he does for us. There's no reason uh, purely than because he's God. Not for what he does for us, not for what we get out of it, but we praise him and we love him simply because he is God. And this proclamation goes out to every tribe, language, and nation. Very similar to Matthew 24 when he commands us to go out to all tribes, nations, and languages to preach the gospel. Well, this angel is going to do the same thing. A second angel flies, and this is found in in, uh, verse 8, and it reads this way. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Powerful statement, brief statement, but powerful. The second angel comes and says that there is this, this nation or this city, Babylon, that has served people intoxicating falseness, intoxicating lies. Talks about the wine of her adulteries, that people have committed adultery against their creator, against God, because they believed a lie. This is the whole subject of Revelation chapter 17 and 18, specifically 18. And we're going to get there in a, in a couple of episodes. Um, Babylon, uh, it's hard to distinguish what this place actually is. Uh, Babylon has been Satan's headquarters since the beginning. Look back at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where great rebellion occurred. And all great religions, contrary to God, have had their roots in Babylon. Uh, it's called the Great City. Um, in Revelation 17, the name Babylon the Great is written on the forehead of this uh, harlot who rides the beast. Um, what is this city? What is this place? Uh, city, nation, place? What is this? Uh, is it real Babylonia as today? Well, as of now, Babylon or Babylonia hasn't been rebuilt in Iraq. Um, the region's been inhabited, but that place hasn't ever uh, been renewed. Some, the early church fathers, thought it might be Rome, um, thinking that the world religious system is tied to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I I don't hold to that myself, but but that's a view. Um, We can look at many views. When I read Revelation 18, to tell you the truth, it looks like the United States to me. But that's that's an opinion. There's no real basis for that. Um, Simply, there is this place... It seems to be the seat or the source of deception, and there's going to be tremendous judgment poured out on this place. And um, I, I have compassion on people who have presented falsehoods, but there's going to be an end, and God will judge. Next in verse, chapter, verse 9, says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Powerful statement. This gives is the, the consequences of those who take the mark of the beast. This, is this third angel comes with punishment for those who have pledged allegiance to the beast and blatantly rejected God. It says they chose to drink the cup of God's wrath. 
Now, it's, it's important for us to understand that you won't be able to accidentally take the mark of the beast. Oh, what if I take it and I didn't mean to? What if I, you know, just wanted to buy and sell and I wanted to have food for my family and so I took this mark? You won't. There will be a conscious choice attached to a spiritual allegiance. Remember, back in chapter 13, there's the two, the spiritual leader as well as the uh, political leader, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And so when you take the mark, what you're saying is, I pledge my allegiance to the Antichrist, rejecting God, rejecting Jesus Christ. So there, there won't be any accidental, I didn't mean to take it. And that those that have, that have taken it uh, are refusing to trust in God. So the reality is hell is God's wrath, but it's fascinating that hell isn't a place where God like has this big whip and he's just going to whip people for all of eternity like an angry parent. No, God's wrath is his withdrawal. When God withdraws from a person, remember who God is. God is love. If God withdraws, he withdraws all and, and every bit of love. He is peace. Hell is no peace. He is joy. Hell is no joy. He is light. Hell is complete darkness. He is fellowship. Hell is complete aloneness. And et cetera, et cetera. Whoever and whatever God is, hell is, is the absence of all of that. Where there is compassion, hell is the absence of all compassion. Where there is comfort, hell is the absence of all comfort. That's what hell is. God doesn't send people to hell. He just gives them what they've always wanted, and that's life without him. And hell is that result. But the scripture uh, describes it as a lake of burning sulfur. And in the presence of the Lamb and his angels, that forever and ever they cry out in agony. That there's, there's just too late now. What a sad, sad thing. I wouldn't wish this, wish this on my worst enemy. God doesn't intend on anybody going to hell, but there will be more in hell than there will be in heaven. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. It's sobering, isn't it? To think that maybe some of our loved ones some people in our life right now may end up separated from God for all of eternity. And that's the, the, the motivation for us to not wait until people are passed away or until this day could come in our lifetime, but instead realize that the judgment is true and it's real and it's not so far off. I pray that we would be people obedient to God, reaching out to, to those who don't know him. Well, it says that this calls for patience on the part, uh, patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful. Um, it's it's going to be tough times in these uh, great tribulation days, times when we, people have to be steadfast and not be swayed by any, any immediate uh, persecution, but instead hold on, just hold on. Like I, uh, Ephesians 6 says, stand firm. That don't let anything, not even the death, make you so afraid that you would turn away from God. Remember, the sting of death is gone. 
has been crucified on the cross. And so we don't have to fear the sting of death anymore. Even if our lives are taken, we can real, uh, be confident that we, at that moment of our last breath, we'll be in the presence of the living God. We need to have faith in that. Verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. That there are going to be those who either are saved in the Great Tribulation or um, those that have, uh, you know, I, I uh, personally believe in a mid-trib uh, a rapture theory, that there will be those who are in the Tribulation that pass away. And um, this passage says, blessed are those um, who pass away under the hand of, of evil and become martyrs, that God is, uh, has a special place in his heart for them. Well, the last few verses of this chapter, verse 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the white cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he that was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's wine or vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, which is the equivalent of about 180 miles. So this last portion is, look, the lamb. The lamb is now seated on a white cloud, looking like the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Well, Jesus. In the Gospel of John, that's his favorite title for himself. He is the judge, John 5.27 says, by his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, he is the judge, and he's wearing a crown of gold on his head. He's the conquering, excuse me, he's the conquering king. He has a sharp sickle in his hand. The sickle is that curved um, uh, machete type thing, but it's shaped in the, in the shape of a C. Uh, in the Russian flag, there is that sickle that's there that, uh, that's used in harvesting. And that's what it's used for. They would gather the wheat in these bundles, and they would cut it with this uh, sickle curved to uh, the same shape as the wheat bundles. In Matthew 13, there's a parallel uh, passage here speaking of the separation of the wheat and the weeds that were planted there by an enemy. Well, now it's time to separate the weeds from the wheat. And oh, I sure hope that you are listening to this and you are among the wheat and not the weeds. Well, there's a multiple commands that happen here. The first angel is commanded. It says, the command is given from heaven uh, through the angel to the sun. The time is right. And now... All God does is specific to a timetable. The harvest is ripe, maybe even overripe, but it's ripe and ready for harvest. And no one can judge God of being too hasty or too late. That the time is right now. Everyone will have had a chance. Everyone will know that the decisions they made, and or rather the consequences of their rest of their life were because of the decisions they made. The second angel comes, and he also has a sickle. These are the harvesting angels. Matthew 13, 
uh, 24 to 30 and 36 to 43 speak of these harvesting angels. Then there's a third angel, another angel in charge of fire, fire that comes from the altar and calls to the angel with the sickle to swing it for the grapes are ready to harvest. There's the angel with the golden censure of fire, Revelation 8. These represent the prayers of the saints. The fire is God's judgment finally coming as a result of his timetable and the prayers of the saints. Well, the impact of this judgment that he swings the sickle and the people are submitted to God's wrath, pressed in the great wine press of the wrath of God. What a powerful idiom that you would place grapes in a wine press and the the big lever would be pressed down and all the juice would be uh, drained from the grapes and running down into the vats while the rest was cast away. Outside the city of Jerusalem, says the blood flows as high as a horse's bridle. What is that? Five feet high for 180 miles long? Isaiah 63, 1 to 6, speaks about something like this. It's fascinating that um, 180 is the distance between uh, Megiddo and Basra in Israel today, um, 20 miles southeast of the Dead Sea, where the great battle of Armageddon uh, is believed to be um, believed to happen in our future. Is this speaking about that last great battle when God will subject the nations of the enemies of Israel to his wrath? Um, it's very possible. Again, we wait and see. Um, we wait and watch. And our job is simply to trust. Um, Ezekiel 38 and 39 speak about this last battle in, the, in Armageddon. And uh, chapter 19 as well of Revelation. Um, I can't imagine what these days are going to be like. Uh, but the thing we must keep in mind is that none of this even applies to us if we are the faithful. Well, maybe not all of it doesn't apply. We still have to be patient and endure and to make sure that we keep, uh, that we keep faithful um, no matter what comes. Um, but for those who don't um, know him, um, it's a sad day. There are those who will say today, I want to run my own life. I want to do things my way. I don't want to love you, God. I don't want to obey you, God. Um, and there's going to be a day when he's going to say, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted. I'm going to give you what you've always dreamed. And the sickle is going to come. And it's going to judge. And that day will be a day beyond imagination, the horror of that day. I hope and pray that you will not be amongst those numbers, nor anybody you love amongst those numbers, nor anybody God loves for that matter. But we know there will be those who resist him. Let's make sure we're right. Let's make sure we hunger and thirst for righteousness always. And uh, we'll be sure to be excited for his coming, not to be afraid of it. We have to stop now. It's been a long chapter. We'll get into chapter 15 next and uh, then get into the awesome, awesome bowls of God's wrath. So God bless you. I hope you're doing well. And uh, let's remember to stay in the book, the 66 books of God's word, and live our life by those 66. This is Pastor Greg. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.